look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? Hello, Faisal. I'm doing uh, very well, although uh, I thought we had summer. Uh, looks like it's taken a bit of a pause on us. <laughs> <laughs> Come on back. Come you, on. You already went to summer? Like <laughs> I did. You know we only have two seasons <laughs> in the city. It's hockey and not hockey. Those are the only two oh. seasons that we have. Gotcha. I'm and a golfer, in, though. You're in the wrong city. <laughs> no, you're not. No, hey, this is it's my fantasy. Get your own. <laughs> no, you're in the right city if you want to golf for <laughs> three days out of the year. It's perfect. So we've got a very interesting show today. Well, we do. Um, we're going to talk about the connection between uh, the brain and exercise. But listen, it's not the basic conversation. Um, I think everybody would accept that if you, you know, your cardiovascular health improves, it's blood flow, oxygen, everything to your brain, that's good. But there's some, there's some new and evolving research. Stick around for that because I think you'll find it interesting. Yeah, that will be a good, good segment as well. We've got seniors are reporting higher life uh, satisfaction than in other groups. But what about Canadians? Mm-hmm. Are they enjoying their retirement? Yeah. Well, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, we're going to have a fun time with that. All right. We also uh, had a very interesting week this week when it came to the markets. Well, this is what I call fundamental week. Yeah. Earnings reports. Lots of them. You know, we, a lot of the times uh, during a quarter, um, a lot of speculation of what could happen right. comes up. Um, this week, and the U.S. took a lot of the uh, the attention, was the earnings reports of a bunch of companies. Mm-hmm. And companies like Ford did well. Companies like Amazon have done well. Microsoft, right? Microsoft is now part of the trillion dollar club. Right. You know, so these different companies doing different things are are, are seeing some growth. And then to surprise all of us, mm-hmm. all of us, like you and I didn't even think this was going to happen in the, fir- in the first quarter of GDP numbers for the United States. We get a report of 3.2% growth of GDP when we were expecting 2.5%. Usually the first quarter is pretty lull, pretty boring, pretty, um, you know, non-eventful. Right. Um, And so we don't expect much out of it. And then all of a sudden we get a nice 3.2%. Now there's going to be a couple of revisions over the next few months, but we're generally going to see that it's, it's better than what was expected is what I'm, I'm seeing. So, well, it has been like 75 plus, so I don't know exactly what the number is right now. I've been beating expectations, right? Yeah. So right when we got to the point where people are saying, maybe we've reached the peak of this economy, maybe we're now turning down, we're decelerating, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting closer to a recession, maybe, not yet. Maybe not yet, but I want. Let me throw in this notion of an uh, of an earnings recession as well, because some of the press has been reporting that. I've had questions about this, and you got to remember, there's a big base base effect here. Last year's quarterly results were influenced by the big tax changes in the United States. Correct. Right. So massive increases in earnings, not because of fundamental business, but because of a change in, change in the tax rate. Right. Correct. And so we went into this earnings season with an expectation that we might actually see an, an earnings decline of 2.1%. That's been whittled down. Well, we're, we're going to see where we end up by the end of this quarter. But um, if if you're unaware of that base effect, you know that might look very different or you might interpret that very differently. So there's lots of moving parts here from a fundamental basis to try to understand how various economies are doing, not just the U.S. Yeah, so I, I've got a, a, a an interesting take on how what we saw this week the economic numbers for GDP that came out. And let's look at it in two directions, Dave. Let's okay. assume that 
the economy is going to be continually doing at this kind of a rate of 3%. Okay. And earnings are coming out. Some companies are producing well. Some have been kicked in the chin. Oh, you, yeah. You've seen a very different set right. of results uh, between that companies. that kind of mixes everything up. Yeah. Um, and let's assume where things are going well, or even let's assume that things are not. We're going, we're decelerating. Okay. We're getting closer to a, re, uh, a recession. Are we in a position now where active stock management is going to outperform passive stock management? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Can I say it depends? It depends on the efficiency of the market. Maybe? Correct. Well, yeah, right. on the different mar- on the respective markets. That, that's a fair comment. I, I think but where, where we're tilting from, Dave, is right. is if you look at some of the managers around the world that we follow, that we work with, um, we sat down with and had dinner and, and chatted about what they look at. These fundamental managers, they're not they're not market timing. They're not technicians. They're not looking at charts Correct. alone. They're looking at fundamentals. They. They're really in the in the camp that passive investing, just buying an ETF and sitting on it, is slowly going away, and you're going to get closer and closer to being active management. Because now, if it's an earnings program, yeah, or if it is a recessionary times, you better own the right companies, or you better own the companies that still have that growth mechanism to yeah. it, because they're going to be rewarded. Yeah, while the ones who are not growing. Well, I'm, I, and I was going to say there's two uh, there's two avenues. So from a growth perspective, but also from a defensive perspective, right? There's a strong argument to be made now to, for active management. If you felt that we were moving towards that recession point, that uh, that you want to be active in terms of choosing equities that are perhaps more defensively positioned. Mm-hmm. So you, I think you're correct in the sense that we're moving in in that direction. It probably uh, does warrant a more active approach versus a, a passive approach at this particular point. I think it's. Fair to say, um, you know, volatility. So, to going to your point, the companies that are performing well, you're seeing, like Facebook was a good example, yep. just crushed its earnings expectation. And on a massive company like that, you saw a huge increase in one day. You get the Intels of the world that miss or something like that. You get a big, cr- uh, you know, crash on any given day. So, what we're seeing is volatility, certainly within indiv- individual issuers, start to spike up based on how they've done. Um, in the current quarter, or what their forward forecast is, you know, looking into the into the near future. So I, I think you make a good point there that there's there's likely an opportunity for rotation. Either you know, depending on what side of the coin on, doesn't really matter, defensive or aggressive. So I, I'm holding in my hand right now, Dave, a quantitative analysis of investor behavior done by Delbar. It's December 31st of last year's report. One of the interesting things that they look at, and they're looking at your do-it-yourself investors and investors with advisors and so forth, and they find that those who are investing passively, mm-hmm. passively, mm-hmm. so ETFs, exchange-traded funds, buy. Passive the con- indexes, yeah. The concept of an ETF or an exchange-traded fund is to buy and hold. That's the concept. Right. Let the market do what the market is because an active manager can't perform, outperform the index. Well, you're talking a traditional exchange-traded fund that was an, was an index uh, Just an index. Hugger. Yeah. Just an index, yeah. right? So in 2008, the average equity investor underperformed. This is the investor. Mm-hmm. Underperformed by 5%. Against the index. Against the index because of market timing. Mm-hmm. The average equity index fund investor, so ETF investor, underperformed by 3% mm-hmm. because of active invest because of market timing. timing. And so even an asset allocation fund investor, so a person who's just buying a mixture of stocks and bond type of ETFs, yep. underperformed the, mar- the, the benchmark or their benchmark by 5%. Right. So 
what I'm finding is that although people have the concept that in the index will outperform the the, the fund manager or yep. the money manager over a long period of time, let's say ten years, they're not out. These individual investors who are believing in that philosophy yep. are not outperforming the index because they're taking into account market timing. They're becoming the money manager, right? Right, and they're underperforming, right? So. It's difficult to buy, hold, and not look at something for 10 years. I get that, right. especially as you transition to or live in retirement. Yep. The The interesting part is nowhere in this report do they talk about downside risk protection. Yeah, that, that's always absent, not always, often absent in these reports, right? It's always a, a return calculation in the absence of risk. And, and the interesting part about the report, and it's not a, a negative to the report, but just an interesting fact is that they did not talk about alternatives to the stock and bond market. Right. They just talked about either you're in the stock market or you're out. Right. Two asset classes, stocks and cash. Correct. Yeah. And we did a presentation uh, last Tuesday, two of them, and the conversation of alternative investments, investing outside conventional stocks, bonds, and cash, actually had more attention from these, these viewers, mm -hmm. these listeners, mm -hmm. than we probably have had in a very long time. Because they realize the fact that they, although they need the returns, they cannot take the risk. And so reports like this from Dalbar are just a testament that we're trying to time the market, which mm -hmm. will offset risk, right. versus diversifying and including an alternative strategy. Right. And so I, I had a chance to meet with Andrew McCreeth. He's on BNN quite a bit. Um, and, and I did an interview. Hopefully, I can I can get that recording out to the public on this one. But it was very interesting how he looks at the market from a from a alternative manager right. than a very conventional right. long only or just let's just buy stocks and watch them right up and try to time it. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about structure and all of this, this the philosophy about how to build portfolios to get to all of these different points in space and protect yourself and so on and so forth. We're going to do that at our next uh, upcoming seminar. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we invite people out to that? Yeah, that'll be on Tuesday, May 14th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. Now you need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. You want to understand the relationship between your brain and your muscles? It's an interesting St Stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Fairy tales can come true, it can happen to you, when you're young at heart. Welcome back, you're here with David Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, Faisal, uh, ongoing, there's tons of research um, uh, that is taking place all the time. We've got this massive demographic shift that we talk about all the time. There's That's a right. huge population of people in the developed world, certainly in in Canada and certainly in Calgary that are, you know, making this transition into, uh, into the later st stage of their life. And, uh, you know, health, the health bucket that we talk about all the time is a really big determinant in the, the quality of retirement. Yeah, and you find that um, as people age, their concerns about their health and their health care start to increase. And so that we need to kind of 
educate, inform individuals about the changes that are happening, what they can do from not only a reactive thing, so when something goes wrong, yeah. but preventive. Totally preventive. That's the only way our healthcare system is going to keep up is if everybody starts doing their thing Correct. on a preventative basis, Correct. right? Okay. Now, we talk about this a lot, uh, and in some cases, it's going to be just as a reminder to people, continue to do this or get out there and start to do it. We've got a terrific guest uh, to walk us through the most recent uh, research and the connection between sort of physical health and the brain. Uh, Dr. Louis Brer is a uh, neuropsychologist, University of Montreal Department of Medicine, also a researcher at the Montreal Heart Institute and one of the lead authors of, of a recent study here. Um, uh, Louis, let's maybe just get sort of a high level here. I'd like you to start with, with respect to the research that, uh, that you've um, participated in here. Give us an idea of the connection, how important it is, or what that connection is between exercise and the brain. Okay, so it's been many years now that we know that uh, people who exercise on a regular basis, they tend to have a lower cognitive decline. They also tend to have a lower risk of developing dementia. Uh, as they as, as we as they grow older, so the two have to be disconnected. You know, they, of course, if you have cognitive decline, you have a higher risk of of having dementia. But dementia is a disease, right? So it's yeah. two different things. But the two are uh, uh, maintained uh, or, or delayed, so to speak, if you if you exercise on a regular basis. That's one thing we've known for a, for a while. What we still don't know is which type of exercise has the the, the larger benefit on the brain, and. Uh, uh, it's been, of course, a lot of uh, effort in the, in this field. A lot of researchers are working in the field right now uh, in Canada, but also uh, worldwide. And uh, we're starting to realize now that not only aerobic exercise, but also gross motor training exercise, strength training exercise, uh, also tend to have a benefit on the brain. And 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 more more so, we know now that there's a bunch of basic physiological mechanisms that are triggered uh, by all these types of exercise, which lead, leads us to uh, to recommend right now a, a wide array of exercise, not just you know walking, brisk walking, and, and improving uh, cardiorespiratory function, but also to improve strength, to improve mobility, uh, to maintain flexibility. All those uh, components of a fitness uh, schedule are, have to be uh, considered. So, so what kind of, for people who don't know about this or haven't been informed uh, yet, um, what kind of aerobic exercise should they be doing and what kind of strength training should they be doing? So in terms of aerobic exercise, uh, you know, there's many studies out there that would show that just brisk walking, you know, uh, uh, you know, walking in a in a, a moderate intensity level uh, will many times a week, ideally every day, ten to fifteen minutes a day would would do it, but at least three to four times a, a week. Um, and, and strength training could be just, you know, uh, standing up from a chair, doing some, some uh, pull-up, uh, doing, you know, you try, try to work as much, uh, as many muscle in your body that you can. But the idea is that aerobic exercise alone don't do it, you know. We know it has a great impact, but it's a larger impact if you combine aerobic exercise, strength training, and flexibility exercise as well. And in a very recent study, we also showed that... Um, only uh, gross motor uh, function, like, mm -hmm. you know, coordination exercise, learning to uh, jungle with balls or, you know, parkour um, uh, and, and, do, and do some, you know, uh, motor control exercises uh, will also boost um, the physiology of the brain. 
it's interesting. I, I would understand the sort of the aerobic piece um, and certainly the circulation, blood circulation, oxygen, all of those things for the brain. That makes sense. I was I was surprised to see that result um, on on brain health for strength training. Again, I understand from a mobility perspective and you know mm -hmm. not falling down and hurting yourself. I get from that. So I was interested in that. Was there anything that surprised you in the research? I mean, as you said, this has been going on for a long time, and I'm sure you're discovering new things all the time. But in the research that you've done here, anything that, that you thought, huh, we haven't seen that before, or you know, we need to follow this up a little bit more? Well, it was not quite a surprise, but you're, you're right. I mean, that the question is not, I mean, it's, it's not that logical uh, when, when you think about it, but it's true. The brain requires oxygen and glucose, and, and if you have a good cardiorespiratory fitness, you, you know, you nourish the brain in a better way. Mm -hmm. But what we also know is that strength training, when, you, when the muscle move and, 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 and train, uh, it produces all sorts of proteins and mm -hmm. a sort of protein that you call myokines. Myokines will produce other protein that will call for growth factor in the brain and endothelial and growth factor and but also neural growth factor. Uh, and, and we know that um, myokine will stimulate brain-derived neurotrophic factor, for example, which is a protein that is required to boost uh, the development of new neurons and the connectivity between neurons. Uh, VEGF, vascular endothelial growth factor, is also thought to be uh, enhanced by uh, those proteins that are produced by your muscle when you train. So there's all sorts of cascades like that that we're starting to uncover that have an impact not only on your muscle and your mobility, but also on your brain down the road. This may not be a question uh, that's sort of within the uh, the context of the uh, the research that you've done, but you know, as as a, a physician, somebody studying in this area, do you have any thoughts? Again, it doesn't have to be empirical uh, research, but I'm I'm curious on your thoughts as to this idea of preventative medicine versus reactive medicine. So. You know, if we can, if we as a population get more active and start in, you know, doing these things, and like you said, it's not, this is not a ton of time. It could be 15, 20 minutes a day. But if we start to incorporate this into our lifestyle as a community, as a country, what impact do you think that has on the healthcare system overall as this baby boom generation moves through the, the system? Well, that's a huge question, and I think to answer that question, you need to uh, maybe focus on some conditions specifically. And if we take as an example uh, dementia, or uh, you know, known as Alzheimer's disease, which is just one type of dementia, but dementia, we think right now that one third of cases could be prevented if we change our lifestyle. So one third of cases is huge, uh, and uh, when we talk about life the change, change in lifestyle we mean uh, better monitoring blood pressure, um, avoiding hypertension, doing exercise on a regular basis, um, nutrition, uh, brain stimulation, you know, cognitive games and cognitive stimulation is also something that we need to take care of. Um, you know, of course, quit smoking and, and control for all sorts of, you know, psychological factors like avoid depression, manage anxiety, lower stress. You know, all things that just are common sense of, 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 of you know, uh, lifestyle, a well-being lifestyle, so to speak. And there's, there's a, a lot of uh, uh, consensus statement right now in the medical society that if we control for this, we're going to prevent one-third of the cases of dementia down the road, which is a huge impact. Oh, that's massive, for sure. Um, we've quickly come to a conclusion on our time. I want to thank you for uh, your input. Um, it's always interesting to hear sort of how the medical research continues to develop, but I think we, we certainly uh, all know that we need to be, you know, be playing a role as an individual in, in our overall health. Lifestyle, does, you know, lifestyle decisions make a big impact on that. Louis, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.
been joined by Dr. Louis Barrera, who's a, neuro- a neuropsychologist. He's at the University of Montreal Department of Medicine and a researcher at the Montreal Heart, um, Heart Institute, one of the lead authors on a recent study that we've just been talking about. And Faisal, you know, um, again, maybe nothing n- new uh, that we're telling people in this, but the message is clear, right? When we talk about that health bucket, and that is one of the things that comes up in our, our um, uh, seminars every single month, the biggest concern is about health. Just take a listen to that. One-third of dementia, Alzheimer's, may be preventable just by being active. Yeah, and that's only one disease. Think about all right. the other diseases that we have out there, the biggest ones that we have in this country when it comes to cancer and heart failure and so forth. Right. Think about all the things that can happen with that. This is no different than our industry ourselves. When yep. we start saying preventive is basically planning in advance right. and, and actually executing to a plan executing into it. a plan. Right? Yep. And so this is the same thing if people are, are – and it's hard sometimes. I get it. Like I'm – I, I sometimes – would rather watch the playoffs than go for a walk. Sure. But, but, you know, like it's, 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 it's just we need to kind of get some sort of incentive program. We need to get some sort of um, way to get people off their, off their seats and on their feet. And but i got to tell you, I mean, forget about the broader impact on the, on the healthcare um, community uh, and system. Just think about lifestyle, right? Think about the quality of your retirement. And this is a no-cost item. It's not like you're being asked to, to spend a ton of money to do something. You just need to get out and walk, and all of a sudden things improve. So, you know, it's important. You can plan that in your day. Everybody can do it from a cost perspective. These are the kinds of things that maybe we just need to be reminded about regularly. Absolutely. Okay. Um, let's remind everybody about the upcoming seminar. We're going to talk about this quality of, of life that we want to talk about, bulletproofing your retirement. Some of that is health, but it goes even beyond that. Yeah, and that's on May 14th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. Are you enjoying your retirement? Well, stick around because we're going to have a conversation about how Canadians generally feel about retirement. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, Faisal, there's a wide range often of satisfaction in retirement, right? Lots of reasons for that. Uh, the question, you know, that uh, we, I guess we want to ask is how satisfied generally are Canadians, right? And where are some of the gaps? And you know why are they satisfied? And that that kind of stuff. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I'm I'm always interested in this in this research and generally where people sit on this. And Dr. Paul Kershaw, he's been a guest of ours on the show before. He's going to join us. He's an associate professor, UBC School of Population and Public Health. Uh, welcome back to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me back. So let's uh, let's get, let's talk about this. I'm I'm interested in in the in the current research and um, you know the where do Canadians generally stand on how they feel about their retirement. Well, I think today's retirees generally feel quite content. If you look at data describing um, which age groups in Canada are struggling with low income, yeah. uh, back in the day, say when my grandmother was sort of starting out as a retiree, uh, retirees had some of the highest rates of low income status in the country. That was, you know, too likely to be going bankrupt before we had our, our health care system established and often too unlikely to be able to stretch their earnings into retirement after a career. And it was especially a career of caregiving. We had just Unfortunately, an older um, an older cohort of women who were struggling with low income. Right. But if you flash forward to today, um, those over 65 actually report the lowest rates of low income of any age group in the country. It's still, you know, there's a bit of room where we can bring it down. But uh, the fact that we have a guaranteed income supplement, it's that sort of guaranteed income concept that we've t- started to talk about more generally in Canada, but it's existed for quite some time for retirees, and it's gone a long way to minimize some of the pressures of low income status. And more generally, we see two really good 
things for our cohort of today's retirees. First, their earnings generally are on the rise, so their incomes in retirement are higher. And second of all, three-quarters of Canadians over 65 are homeowners. And we all know that in, you know, over the last decade, like home prices have really elevated, which has grown the wealth in people's homes, which has added to their financial security. Okay. Um, that makes sense to me, right? I mean, financial can be a big, uh, a big part of the stress and influence um, quality of retirement. What else did you find? I'm curious about what other impacts uh, they had. Health and, you know, these kinds of issues were impacting the quality of retirement. Yeah, so generally Canadians are healthier in our uh, in our lives these days, and we were seeing that in terms of uh, longer lifespans. Yeah. And uh, so that's generally good news. And it's exciting to observe that uh, that longer life is going hand in hand with the better finances. And so you do see increased opportunities for our seniors to have you know, meaningful engagement with their families, meaningful engagement uh, as volunteers. And I think, I don't know if there's actually good data on this, but I'd love to see the degree to which today's retirees travel by comparison with a few decades ago, because there certainly seems to be an opportunity to search for fulfillment via uh, travel and exploration, although we probably need a new conversation about the carbon impact of that travel uh, <laughs> as we run into uh, new risks from climate change, both for today's elderly, who, when elderly and frail, can be at real risk of some of the extreme weather problems, but more generally, the legacy for their kids and grandchildren can be uh, somewhat frightening. So this is a two-part question. How do they determine satisfaction so we have an understanding for everybody? And then when we look at men versus women, tell me a bit more about who's more satisfied. Yeah, so uh, I'm not as strong an expert on the gender breakdown, but if I were guessing, I think the data would, <clears throat> pardon me, would show that uh, women on average are more satisfied. They're definitely having the longer lifespans, et cetera, more content, more contact with family, um, and more networks when uh, a spousal relationship ends, which happens less often as a result of divorce in older age, but more often as a result of a partner passing away. Uh, so the networks that women have tend to buttress risks of isolation. Um, however, there is also the simultaneous risk that you'll have women living longer parts of their later lives as uh, individuals on their own. And so that risk of isolation uh, can be particularly acute for older women, uh, just because it's a more common problem for older women. But they have simultaneously, as I said, greater networks to draw upon. Yeah, I'd say anecdotally, we find that as well. Yep. Women uh, generally, we find, tend to be uh, more prepared for all of the reasons you've just stated uh, for that transition period. Uh, were there any surprises in the in the research? I mean, you're looking at this stuff on an ongoing basis. I get that it's evolving, Paul. Is there anything that caught your interest in sort of in in the most recent research? Nothing in particular. I think we're on this ongoing trend where we, as a society, have this new challenge to adapt to the fact that we have uh, an aging population, which is a sign of many things that are strong, like a, a relatively robust economy has supported that. Improvements in terms of how we can treat illness have done that. Um, but then it causes this sort of longer duration where people you know, are at risk of isolation. But I think the bigger thing that we're needing to talk about at this stage is 
as we have seen improvements in health and quality of life for later life, uh, later life course stages, what do we do when we used to have seven workers for every retiree and now we have fewer than four and soon it's going to be more like fewer than three? That's going to be like a broader population conversation about how we get it right for our aging family members who we love, but how we simultaneously find some dollars as a community and as a society to invest in the productivity of their kids and grandchildren because we need to get every ounce of productivity out of those kids and grandchildren so that we can continue to finance fairly the um, the services that an aging population is going to draw on, especially as we do see some increases in rise of chronic problems around dementia, et cetera, which can be a long-term problem and a, a challenging one to, to care for. It doesn't happen in hospitals so much, but it sure does create new demands on care facilities. And this is what the problem that Japan is going through right mm-hmm. now. They're, they're trying to figure this out as well. So they, I think when, when you start looking at multiple countries and their, their experiences, we can adopt some that make it more uh, like our own, or we can create new ones. I think you make a good point about that. A um, lot of debate happening in, in across the country about immigration and population growth and all those other issues that do come up. I think it's it's going to be a, a, a very, very challenging time when we have these types of numbers. But I think, like you mentioned, productivity is probably the key. Paul, I've got one last question before we, um, before we have to finish things up here. I, I wondered if there was anything in the research, if there was any common themes that you were able to identify that creates dissatisfaction amongst uh, retirees. Was there was there any common points you, you, you took from the research? Well, I think dissatisfaction tends to come from two sources, typically financial and social. And so, of course, we do have... Um, you know, the, 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 the good news is we're living longer. It comes with a risk, like, can I stretch my earnings and my retirement savings over that duration? So that can be a real source. Simultaneously, the isolation that I've touched on earlier, um, and uh, particularly for women, uh, the isolation that comes after the, the passing of a spouse, men tend to pass away earlier. Start it for us, men. Um, <laughs> and, um, but then the, the isolation goes hand in hand. So we touched on that. That's, that, is a, that is a serious source of dissatisfaction. And I think it creates moments and opportunities for thinking about how to get intergenerational wins around solidarity. So we have shortages of investments in things like childcare in this country, and there is an aspiration to you know, connect you know, the wisdom of our elderly more to the you know, next generations. And I think there are others out there in universities thinking about and in our social policy and our social programs and charitable sectors, thinking about how can we create some win-wins by fostering more solidarity and more contact time between our elders and our youth. Yeah, okay. I think that's uh, that's good input. Uh, Paul, we're going to have to sign it off here, but I appreciate you taking the time to join us. We hope to have you back again soon. My pleasure. Have a great day. been joined by Dr. Paul Kershaw, his Associate Professor, UBC School of Population and Public Health. Um, you know, Faisal, it, 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 the quality, you know, the, the Quality, I'm glad to hear that the general quality of, of the retirement experience is going up, okay? uh, is generally high amongst Canadians. Certainly, there's a very wide range. Certainly, there are particular problems and risks. We started the segment, uh, the show, talking about some of those emotional impacts that people have, and it does affect people differently. This, I don't even think it's a man-woman thing. I think uh, there's very different triggers for uh, for people, as an example, one uh, may worry more about what happens to the family when they're gone and their yeah. ability, you know, the health and yeah. financial um, capacity, and somebody else might be worrying about the day-to-day lifestyle costs, right? And I, I think it's really important for people to uh, to think through those kinds of things. And each, if you're in a couple, 
or if you're a couple, there's different roles that each of you can play, right, in supporting uh, different aspects of that retirement experience. Absolutely. Okay. And so we're going to be talking about how one of the ways of, satis- of satisfaction yeah. is measured as having a, a uh, financial well-being in, in your retirement security. Yeah. And, and protection, bulletproofing your your money through retirement. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, May 14th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400, or go on our website to morethanmoneyradio.com. Is it realistic to maintain your principal throughout retirement? Interesting question. Stick around. We're going to talk about that on the next segment. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and uh, More Than Money. Um, okay. So, you know, is it, is it realistic to maintain principle throughout your retirement? We have conversations about this. Let me frame it, right? You had a conversation last week, but this is kind of a, something that goes on all the time. Um, and people see their portfolio drawing down. So we call that the decumulation phase of, uh, of your life, right? What, What an emotionally challenging time for people. Right. And here's the conversation I had with a client this week, Dave. Um, sat down at their kitchen table, walked them through um, their portfolio, how it's constructed and so forth. And the, portfo- the amount of money that they're drawing on their savings, mm-hmm. partly because the government forces them to because they are in a retirement income fund. But they also have a very good retirement life. Let's say they, they, they're they living a terrific retirement yep. life. And, right? and they're drawing about... Seven percent. So their million dollars mm-hmm. is what they have invested. They're taking about seventy thousand dollars out per year. Yeah. The portfolio, in their case, was was about six percent. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go through the numbers really quickly. A million dollars went up to a million dollars and sixty thousand. Right. They pulled out seventy thousand. Right. Now they're below the million dollar mark. Right. So psychologically, they're like, "I'm below a million bucks. Oh my god, I'm losing money." And I'm losing money, right. Faisal. I'm losing money. Right. This whole portfolio is wrong. <laughs> right. And I got the reaction, I had, and I and I smiled because what people forget when they're in retirement is that they're actually spending their money, mm-hmm. their savings. Mm-hmm. But it's a very difficult, challenging time for individuals to say, "Yeah, I took seventy thousand, and." Yeah, I'm going to be below my million dollars now. And next year, unless we get 7% return. Well, 7.2%. Sure. Yeah, on, right. Then <clears throat> we're going to be drawing on our capital. Right. And this thing can go to zero. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Because my last 45 years of investing, I had to make it go up. Mm-hmm. That was my objective. Yep. Now I have to understand and accept it going down. Well, and is it okay? Is, the, is it okay for it to go down? Now, I mean, that's, that's a loaded question. It is and, loaded. Yeah, and people will answer it differently depending on what their objectives are. But uh, let me use a little industry speak, okay? When you're building your wealth, right, we all have one goal, and it's the same goal, is just get bigger, yep. right? And so we call that the accumulation phase of your life. Yep. And then you're going to hit some point in your life where you say, okay, I'm done that stage, right? I want to call it quits, ratchet back my work effort, whatever the case may be. We'll just call that period retirement for the sake of argument. And I need to draw on the stuff I've saved over my lifetime. Correct. Okay. So let's think about it in terms of a pension. Let's say you didn't have the savings. It was just a pension, a defined benefit pension plan. Yep. Okay. Um, If you had nothing but the defined benefit pension plan, then what's going to happen is when you and your spouse pass away, okay, quite likely the pension plan at that point is gone and there's nothing left. There's no money left. You have consumed everything 
according to the pension, in that plan to support your lifestyle. Yes. And there's no estate value. Yes. So is it wrong to build a pension with your, assuming that we don't have any legacy wishes or anything else, okay? Is it, would it be wrong to say, I want to draw down at a rate aggressively enough to take this to zero at some point in the future? I think it's hard to ask the question, is it right or wrong versus how does it feel? Yeah. And that's where I think it comes into play. Yeah. And I think when you have, and, and, and I've, again, talking to so many of our clients this week, that are in the decumulation phase of their, even if it's a one-year decumulation. Sure. The sensitivity goes up. First of all, the sensitivity of unexpected, extraordinary expenses that may arise, like a repairing of the roof that may cost $30,000. Oh, my Lord, we're losing money in our portfolio, and I got to pull another $30,000 out. Or... Or that really special trip that you want to take for a special anniversary. You want to take the grandkids and it costs you more than what you thought. Correct. Okay. So that brings up a reaction. Right. The second thing that happens is when people are seeing their portfolio being uh, is decumulating, volatility in the market like last, last year, mm-hmm. although for us was a small drop in the market versus mm-hmm. the overall market, mm-hmm. our portfolio did... Forty percent less of uh, of volatility than the stock market. The growth does. portfolio. Yeah. The growth portfolio still brought in a lot of fear. Yep. Now you had you sat down with one of our clients <clears throat> mm-hmm. who said to you, "Well, this was interesting. He's an accountant. Okay, so he's I, I only put that out there because he he um, he would see himself as very logical. He thinks okay? in numbers. Yeah. Numbers, right? Um, and he's very conscious of this. And his his reaction, which you and I have talked about, I th- I found very interesting. He said, "Listen." Um, uh, portfolio uh, was was mildly negative last year, and he said, "Dave, I got to tell you, the experience of that emotionally was way different than any euphoria that I would have expected to feel on this massive recovery I've gotten in the first part of this year." Yeah, and he said that doesn't make any sense. It's completely emotional, and and ultimately, I kick back to my rational brain. You know, I'm an accountant, and I can do the numbers. But he said it's a weird experience. Now, this is a guy also that has an income bucket. So he's experiencing the volatility in the growth bucket, knowing that he's got income assets set aside that weren't affected by that. Correct. It actually went up. <laughs> yeah. So it was very interesting. Uh, you know, it's very in- We know that there's a what we call the behavioral finance side. We know there's an emotional impact, right? That, that, and, and what we have to do is, I don't know, train, educate, structure, all of these things in an effort to try to allow people to enjoy the freedom of their retirement. Yeah. And it's hard to let go. It's hard to say, I accept the fact that my portfolio, my savings will go down to zero over time potentially. Right. Right. And and that time frame is supposed to be when I'm gone. Yeah. Lifetime. Right. Right. So if there's volatility, if there's an extra expense, if there's something that goes wrong or, you know, haywire in Mm -hmm. in their life, they... They react mm-hmm. emotionally to the portfolio saying, let's make some changes, let's do something, let's do something different. These are the kind of concerns that, so it's, it's, it's well, 90% emotional, correct. 10% rational. Yeah, no, correct. And it, it's interesting. So, um, you know, we talk about the planning process often on, on the show and um, often a, a plan will show a decumulation, right? Um, but again, um, conceptually, people understand that. But emotionally, when they're experiencing, it's something very different. And it can come from different places, right? No doubt there's a fear uh, that some people have. Oh, gosh, I'm going to run out of money, right? I mean, that's a, yeah. that, a fear that people have. Some will say, oh, gosh, I'm not going to have anything left over for the kids, right? Okay, fair, fair fear. So there's a whole bunch of different things can, can trigger that emotional reaction. Um, and trying to understand what it is 
um, is an important piece of the puzzle. I, I had another client experience. I may have talked about this at some point, but um, uh, very, very sensitive to the volatility. And I, I got to tell you what it was. Um, ultimately, through a series of conversations and meetings and kind of soul searching, and um, what we discovered is a very small portion of their portfolio had been received from an inheritance from a parent, a deceased yeah. parent. Yeah. And as soon as we could identify the fact that That's this- That's mom's money. Yeah, that this was mom's money and mom had to work hard and struggled for this. Yeah. Once we were able to, to pull that piece out, protect it separately, that fear went away. So it, it's really interesting. It's an emotional, it's a human journey. I always talk about the human journey, right? Yeah. The, ma the math is important, don't get me wrong, but the math never lies to us. It is the, it's our emotions that often can be clouded and confusing and trying to figure out uh, you know that that human journey, the experience that we want to have. Yeah. It's while you were while you were saying that, I was thinking about my my youngest daughter. Uh, last year, I remember this. This was really interesting. Um, I want ice cream, Dad. Yeah. Okay, you can only have two scoops. Right. So we put two scoops wow. in a bowl. I'm coming with you. I know. I know. I'm a good dad. Don't don't um, tell my kids that one. I know. <laughs> They're the only ones that listen to the show, anyways. <laughs> I'm going to be a bad um, dad. You know that. Yeah. Because <laughs> so I put two scoops in the in the bowl. She's eating away. She's enjoying it. Things are good. All of a sudden, I come in and take a a bite out. Oh yeah. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. This is all I have. How dare you take away some of this from me? Right. I'm like, you'll have ice cream in the future. No, 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 no. Today, uh, this is all I have. How dare you take... And that's I can same. guess which one it is. Yeah. <laughs> this, is this is the experience that people have. It's their ta You're taking away their ice right. cream. Right. Right. And so when you take away their ice cream, the reaction is exactly the same. Yeah. Okay, the only difference is my clients don't kick me in the shins. <laughs> my daughters do. Well, some do. Some do. That's right. Um, yeah, interesting. So it's, um, okay, I mean, we've talked about this emotional reaction again. But let's go back to, I said it's education, uh, it's structure. There's a lot of things that we can do um, uh, to put in place for that. And th that is really the, um, let's call it the, uh, the uh, what we've embarked upon, um, and we've been doing seminars for a long time. But Faisal, you and I have said, if we can educate people about this. Correct. Right? Um, then we think we can improve the quality. Doesn't whether you're working with us or not, that's irrelevant. What, what we want to do is educate people about what they're going to experience, the human side and the mathematical side. And if we can get those things together, if mm -hmm. you can overcome those emotional experiences and concerns and fears, and you can put together a mathematical plan that supports all, the, all those things, we're hoping that that results in a higher quality of retirement. So what you're expressing is our is our structure and our approach to the four buckets that we call it. Asset dedication is the solution to bulletproof your retirement. Now we're going to discuss this on Tuesday, May 14th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. Now, you need to reserve your seats, so please give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, thanks for uh, joining us for another edition. A reminder that any of our past segments uh, can be accessed on morethanmoneyradio.com or you can have them delivered directly to you by searching for More Than Money CHQR on uh, Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. 
David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.